We're going to do quick bios, very quick. I'll read them as fast as I can. Uh, I'm going to read in the order of the readers tonight. Uh, Jessica Friedman is a filmmaker, singer, and poet living in Oakland. Her work observes environments, particularly movie theaters and work, through a queer and trans lens. She writes to release and expose injustices while exhaling new perspectives. Samuel Breslin uh, is a poet and film programmer living in Oakland. He is the author of three self-published chapbooks, Captain's Log, Parts of the Passion, and Poems About Poland for Americans, and is a co-founder and co-curator of Lightfield, an all-celluloid experimental film festival held annually at the Lab in San Francisco. Samuel is currently an MFA candidate in the Creative Writing Department at Bard College. Exciting. And then finally, from out of town, Steve Benson. <laughs> lived pretty much in the Bay Area from 1976 to 1992. He, he's lived in Surrey, Maine since 1996. He co-authored the Grand Piano series of autobiographical <laughs> essays, Mode A, uh, 2006 to 2010. They used to be... Oh, they are right there. Yeah. They're, they're back there. They're behind me. With nine old friends. He collaborated with Suzanne Stein and 36 improvised public online chat message, per, messaging performances now collected in Do Your Own Damn Laundry from Gaussopedia. What This Is, uh, Three New Long Poems, is forth, forthcoming with Chax Press. He is an active member of the Midcoast Maine Extinction, Extinction Rebellion, Morgan Bay Zendo, Peninsula Peace and Justice, and USA Palestine Mental Health Network, among other organizations. More at, and then there's a website, but you should probably just look at that online. So let's welcome Jessica Friedman. gonna emote a little bit um hi this is my first poetry reading ever in Oakland um these poems that I wrote happen to all take place on an airplane or like between like or in an airport or like some type of airplane situation and so I'm just gonna I decided to kind of format the five poems I'm gonna read based off of those experiences and yeah, um, I'm just gonna go for it. Okay, this poem is called, and it's the hunter percent emoji, like the hunter with the two underlined. That's what it's called, like hunter percent. Um, okay, <clears throat> feet pushing up against the wall for ten minutes, tapping at their own speed, reminds me of ice in winter. I watch as you give the go ahead, pulling your pants. Readjusting your smile, moving your lips, reaching somewhere downward in a lit-up room. I uncross my legs and press my inner monologue closer so that my mind and ears are connected quick like Bluetooth. I watch the waves inside my mind crash through my eyes and there isn't any relief there. It's scarier than an earthquake when I'm in water. I think of the way sandbags dragged her down into the river, or was it rocks? And the cancer that spread through the I-5 communities and where the little bones disintegrate into on nights that look orange. It's so sad, these toxic sunsets, because I think of fingernails on a chalkboard, but they're soft, slimy seaweed reciting poetry no one understands anymore. It's a forgotten language, exposure. The world is defunct and painfully slowing down. But my cousin can sew a line, and the glue I had is too old to stick. I wear this handmade skirt for four hours, and then it's in a bag for the rest of its time. I write poetry once in a while to stretch out the thumbs, or to grasp the middle and ring finger, or to make, or to not make sense for the fun of it. Because email after email and sentence upon sentence, sometimes you just need to make a jumble of words to know you can still be unique and misunderstood, and I'm lost in my own special way. I don't know if I could ever become the shadow of my own mountain, but I'll scare the sunshine out one of these days, and it'll slowly move off screen. 
What remains is the grainy darkness and the noise of wind crawling its way towards a wall. I look back, and his feet aren't pressed up on the column anymore. He's hunched over, looking at his phone, and the moment is gone. Thank you. This one's called Somewhere. You take a half breath, look down diagonally. Light anxiety flutters into my eyes. Please listen when I'm talking, thank you. It's yellow, but not bright. You walk away. If I destroy a feeling, it'll come back. Remember to follow directions. You breathe in slightly. Lift a hand as if to swat a fly and the ground starts to move. It feels natural, but my eyes rattle like a doll, an indestructible doll. I remember telling this story about glass or the moon or stairs falling, and in it there's a witch wailing somewhere from West Side Story, something about being hung over at too young of an age to remember, how painful it was to laugh and not be able to cry. Because then it was inauthentic, and even in the drunken blizzard, even in the clashing clutter, the light on when it should have been only the moon lighting my dreams, there was a moment when I finally made eye contact with my father in a moment of mutual understanding of what it meant to be apart from yourself. And never for once inhibited, I scare myself when I look into the mirror. I tell myself stories. I run around song lyrics like a curse. All day I dream these same recurring dreams, going down the laundry chute, reaching out for help, watching my breath in the cold, smiling, drunk. It's like when you feel a pulse inside your throat, then you cry, or are engulfed by a sunset in a moving car, except the light goes in and out, orange sadness and melting time. I don't know what I look like when I recall what has happened in my youth. I see through the eyes of both that trembling boy and troubled girl. Perhaps now she is Eurydice being pulled back into the hell by a thousand hands beckoned by Orpheus's gaze. And I am also Orpheus, who could not trust fall. Thank you. Okay. I'm just going to take a deep breath. I guess this one doesn't take place in an airport, but this was like driving. This was like kind of in transportation mode. Okay. Um, driving through New Mexico, an old house looks like it's been melted with time. Rocks filled with trees, little cliffs. When you peel away the first layer, a picture appears. The dirt sparkles an old Coca-Cola billboard is only red and white peeled paint. A wooden restaurant sign with a fa faded Pillsbury Doughboy looking chef on the front. I wonder if everyone loved the pie or if it divided the land, stole the land. <laughs> Traveling is a sick game sometimes because you can't tell if it's your life. We pass Indian City. I think of tacos and forget which ingredient they used. I want to try Navajo fry bread. Huge boulders that look like teeth and crossed elbows and clenched fists or bodies enveloped in each other, concave and convex, sunken in like eyelids, but heavy or caves. I wonder if there's Italian food around here. Like, if everyone goes to the same spaghetti factory sometimes. <laughs> Empty house facades with windows. Makeshift flood control. With exposed wire and netting. A metal cylinder surrounded by brush. Mom talks through everything she sees. Sign for a hospital. First one I've seen for miles. Okay. Um, I have two more.
This one is actually called the Airplane Bible. And it's fun. It's this is my only funny one. <laughs> this is a joke, okay? This is not my experience. I have to prepare myself for this. Okay. I'm going to read this as an alternative persona. The man across me seems sweet, gentle with a Paul Dano smile. <laughs> he ate a sandwich in a minute. <laughs> when he chews his chips, he doesn't even make a sound. His lips consume the potato chips, and his eyes stare blankly at the American Way magazine. Many more men are reading the same terrifying text around me. The Airplane Bible. It feels as religious as this experience of me being consumed and wondering to myself, do we eat the same chips? Would he go vegan if I did? Do squares fade into circles? I ghosted a sugar daddy today because I knew it was wrong for a rich man to ask me for money, and now I see it. He's actually reading the big short. He wears brown loafers, and his hair looks like he didn't get the same jeans his father did that made him bald, but he wears the same jeans. Although they are pre-washed and lighter, still nice and typical. I know he's in tech because he's flying from SF. Um, <laughs> and he's reading Michael Lewis, and it seems like everyone is. Unless you look like you're not. Take me, for instance. I am wearing a faded Dawn of the Dead t-shirt. I look like I am not in tech. <laughs> That's my poem. <laughs> um, oh God. Okay. This this is my last poem. Thank you for for this great energy of a room. I'm very excited for the next two poets. This next one is called the Demon Inside of Me. Okay. And it's it's actually really serious. Um, I'm just gonna like... <coughs> I started thinking about the ways we support each other and how something like an earthquake or a concentration camp or a family can be so overwhelming that you shut down instead of help out, reach in instead of reach out tangle up and untangle simultaneously. There's a demon inside of me, she said to me by the jacuzzi. As the bubbles popped, she told me about how the demon taught her to unwire the binding layers that contain the way she lived, and now she is a life coach. <laughs> and I am reflecting on water, and it's underneath me, trembling, cold in this pool, Am I swimming or running away slow? Is this a poem or a stream? I thought that in moments of panic, I would be there for you. Instead, I'm stuck in my own worst nightmare, deciphering words I should say as a scattered puzzle inside my mind. I've become a fragmented glass panel, barely reflecting support. And you, you are also shattered. Vulnerable shards on the floor. I'm sweeping you up without asking if you're still together. I'm throwing you in the trash and wrapping you in a plastic bag and throwing that plastic bag in the trash in less than a minute. Do I regret it? Will I change? Did I forget it? It's covered up now like grass on a field and it might look like a super bloom in a year, but I remember the day that it was planted from waste, and I'm guilty once again, and that guilt grows like seeds planted from the wind off a mountain, hidden in the soil, barely big enough to see, but enough to bloom.
great reading. First reading in the East Bay. It's amazing. All right, Samuel Breslin is up next. Let's go around for Sam. the type of, it's been a, it's been a kind of strange week, I had to, um, after Turner invited me to read here, which I was very, very excited about, I found out that also today was the, do the first draft of my, I'm in school right now, uh, doing an MFA program for writing, and, uh, do today was the first draft of, uh, my thesis paper, yeah. so I spent <laughs> today, like, um, writing about, writing about writing, um, which, which was fine, which, which turned out actually really okay, and I, uh, um, I spent way longer, like, page number-wise talking about, like, how important it is that I, that in my process I, like, expose the, um, scary feelings that I didn't want to expose, uh, and now I'm about to read a lot of really rough in-process stuff, and I'm feeling like it's going to be super exposing, but, uh, I, I, I literally spent day, all day talking about how important that is supposed to be, but usually <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, so this, um... And then the other half of the essay is about like rectangles and so the I actually really write fiction, um, but this stuff is at the stage where it's really it's kind of in between. It's it's not it's not all formulated into stories yet. So some of some of the perspectives here are. <coughs> I'm, I'm not delaying getting started, but uh, <laughs> some of the perspectives here are, are a little bit in between sort of like actual me talking about myself and um, having assigned them to characters, some of whom exist and some of whom, like some of whom exist in previous pieces that are, that are pretty much done and, and, and some of whom I, I refer to by name. So if, that, if there's like strange names that don't make any sense. That's, they're just characters that, that exist. Um, they're characters that don't exist, that characters that I made up. Thank you. Why do you hire the union? You have to like <laughs> I mean, they're not broke. <laughs> okay. Yeah, is it all right? 
Okay. And then... <laughs> and then the numbness kicked in. Right when she asked me how I was doing, the numbness kicked in and it tingled. I want to tell you about that. This is a reference to a story that has taken place about a woman sitting in her auntie's house um, and it's really warm and she's reaching out to um, put her coffee cup on the table. Right when she asked me how I was doing, the numbness kicked in and it tingled. Horizontal coffee table mug deposit outstretched arm, ass on couch, middle span the carpet gap. Auntie asks how I'm doing and the numbness kicks in. Tingle from my left neck down the outside of my left arm and elbow corner turn forearm cubit span tingle and pinky wedding ring finger middle finger which when shown to someone solo means fuck you all alight with tingle a feeling that indicates a lack of feeling and which comes from an injury that comes from a moment of showing off which flares when though not because Auntie Claire asked how I'm doing. And it complicates the answer. And the answer was already complicated and mostly questions about if certain feelings or sudden disappearances of feelings would be widely unacceptable, such as, I don't love you anymore, or I do love you but I'm tired of being responsible for your emotions since they're mostly negative. And I don't right now understand the difference between I cannot and I do not want to. Accepting the physical and the literal. I cannot lift this boulder. I cannot fit under the table. I cannot be in two places at once. I cannot stop eating these cookies. I cannot pick you up from the airport, Dad. I have to work. Well, you could take off work. Can you take off work? I cannot take off work because it would require shifting my entire priority set in my life. I would lose money and I want... and... I would lose money and also, I might have to explain to someone who you are and why I hate you. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's fiction or what. Who you are and why I have a complicated relationship with my father. I can't do that because I, because I don't want to so bad that I cannot. I have not wanted to talk about you for so long that I've cauterized whatever output those feelings would have to come through, and now they're all backed up somewhere at the end of the tunnel. Burnt nerve endings tunnel where when flowing freely feelings come out, and we can talk about it, but when cut short and sealed, numbness in my left arm and hand. And somewhere there, there meaning in the left side of my body, and there every time and the place where I am during that time, Parentheses, sitting at a table in the public library, driving in my car, leaning long-bodied out towards Clara's glass coffee table. When I feel the numbness on coming, there is meaning in the comparison between this tingle, a feeling in my body that indicates a lack of being able to feel things, and how it is to have a father. Do we have any dads in the house tonight? Fuck you, Dad. Your existence makes me feel like you should exist better for me. The curtain you hung in the hallway on Christmas. The candy trail that led to it. Did you put sour peach rings directly on the carpet or am I misremembering? The worst decision you ever made as a father, you say, was when we were playing a trust game in which I was walking with my eyes closed back to the car taking verbal directions from you as, as to where to go and how to step. And then you said, okay, now run as fast as you can. And I did. And I did so into the side of our van. The joke was that you knew I was peeking and called my bluff, my trust bluff. And my joke was that I really was not peeking. I really had my eyes closed the whole time. And even though my eyes were closed, I still knew that we were back at the car. Either by the tone of your voice or by some elsewhere sense that a child has when they're at... This part gets a little wordy. Either by the tone of your voice, or by the some elsewhere sense that a child has when they're at that overlapping of two liminal moments. 
transitional overlap of not walking away from the mall anymore, but getting into a vehicle that will, in a different way and at a different speed, and guided by painted lines on the ground, take us away from the mall even more. <laughs> in that way, I knew we were back at the car with my eyes closed. I knew I was just a few steps away from it, facing the forest green flank behind the right rear tire, and I ran as fast as I could right fucking into it because you told me to. So this is a separate piece of paper, but, you know, it's gonna, they, they, I think they might all eventually end up in, a, in the same piece, long piece, and they're, it's not poems, they're in paragraphs, like that. I've got a lot on my plate right now. I've got a lot on my plate right now, what with the fires burning, a perimeter around the edges, and the smoke drifting in. And I'm in my own movie, and in and this movie, sometimes it's POV of my hands preparing things against the smoke that drifts in from the edges to my home in the center. Sometimes it's a medium shot of me stuffing socks into the cracks of my Victorian windows against the smoke blowing in from the burning edges. It turns out that an apocalypse film can also be a realist slice of life, and it turns out that Jean Dielman was an apocalypse film. I'm in the movie again. I'm benignly narcissistic, and my movie is both POV and third-person medium shot. Douglas fur shims I press through gray socks into the unsealed crack where the top and bottom windows overlap. Wooden knife cuts into cotton birthday cake and then extracted. Here's a slice. And now there's a space between slices, but what happened to the cake matter that is now a gap between? Some of it is residue on the knife, and some of it is actually there wasn't anything removed. It was a pure cleaving. It's not a table saw, it's a kitchen knife. It's an evergreen shim, and it's a sock. And I can do it calmly, and not slowly, but as a movie it feels very deliberate. But this is the effect of durational cinema. Normal actions feel intentional, so it makes me feel very in control when I'm the movie and the audience, the victim of smoke inhalation and the protector of this home, the wedger of socks into rickety windows, into rickety wooden windows. And when I pause briefly, small break in the action to smell, realize that some of the socks are a little dirty, though my <laughs> facial expression also indicates that this is normal and okay. <coughs> and that one of the socks has sexual fluid on it, and this is also normal and okay, but it gets tossed into the laundry basket, and this is a major event within the scene. A break in the action. A departure from the normal, which was hands at window height wedging socks into crack. Turn around, sock toss into laundry basket gets your heart pumping, and you're glad when I turn back to use my wooden wedge tool again, evergreen triangle, sharp and pressing. Evergreen triangle wielded as tool, siblings of which burn at the edges, causing smoke. Historic wind event blowing smoke inward to the center. Will industry be affected? Will residents lose power? Will this be a hit film, even though I'm the only audience member and I didn't buy a ticket because I'm in the movie? don't want to read, then watch TV. It's like hanging, 
It's like hanging with people who can't see or hear you and who are flat and fit inside a rectangle. It's like watching a romance occur without strangely glancing in a restaurant at an engaging couple. I mean an engaged couple. I mean a couple so engaged and laughing and speaking with good timing that the sun sets on fish dinner. Night falls on summer bay. String lights come on and on comes sexy. I look over the shoulder of my restaurant friend and think in my head back to the time, back to the time the couple first met. Then look down at my, my own fish dinner, upon which the sun has also set. Then look up over, the, up over the shoulder of my restaurant friend, and then look forward into time when tonight they kiss. Jump cut to their butts in underwear, middles about to touch. Maybe hand grab cotton round. Jump cut to midwinter argument, and they fight honestly. You know they'll make it. They let their anger out so it doesn't stay wrapped up and turn into something else. Jump cut back to my own fish dinner. Spiced carcass pointing right to left on the white circle like it's 3.45 on the fish plate clock. <laughs> Did I just eat a whole fish plus grains and a salad? Pan up past the salt and wine center table. Friends chest beyond, friends chest beyond the rosé. Pull focus, pink wine yielding to patterned blouse. Skin V pointing between her breasts gold necklace. It's a real person. It's Diane. We're at a nice restaurant again. Diane got the fish too and picks at it still, clicking her fork and knife, separating super small pieces too small for a bone to hide in. Cut to Diane looking down at a fork and knife inside the white circle like hands on a clock. Knife comes in from the lower right, fork comes in from the lower left, on Diane's fish, it's 4.35. <laughs> so are you reading anything interesting? I'm mostly watching television. <sighs> Mixed bag of sun and clouds. Mixed bag of wind and warmth. It's a day of weather and work. It's a day in which everyone in town will go to the bathroom multiple times. Working people take breaks to relieve themselves. Retired people take breaks to relieve, to relieve themselves. The independently wealthy will take breaks to relieve themselves. Someone might make a speech today. Some friends might talk stall to stall in the bathroom while both relieve themselves. Different types of conversations that happen with pants down. Some can be the same as with pants up. <laughs> Ankles and shoes under bathroom stall door. Mixed bag of being in the bathroom and not being in the bathroom. Working, <laughs> working and looking forward to the weekend. What sunny winter Fridays are, what sunny winter Fridays are is mixtures of being in the bathroom texting about the weekend and being in the office texting, up, texting about the weekend or doing work. Sometimes I want to be naked in front of the window. Other times I am naked in front of the window and I'm terrified that I didn't notice and quickly scurry away from it, only to reach my bare arm back across it, wrap the cord between my fingers and pull the blinds closed. And this then, my naked arm entering frame right, crossing window pane and entangling fingers in string, and down comes curtain, end of act one. This makes me want to be naked in front of the window again. Bare arm, window peep, like a sideways puppet show that is sexy because there are now no puppets hiding what under the puppets is so skin. Thinking then about what it would be like to tell Diane about this feeling and And she interrupts my feeling this way because in my head she criticizes me for turning a very normal action circumstance into a fetish. But she doesn't mean that fetishes are bad or questionable or should be criticized, but what she means is that 
can nothing be normal? Is everything subject to total sexual interruption? At what point do libidinal distractions start to take away from being a normal person in the world who can do normal things such as closing the window blinds and getting dressed without it becoming a meta-sex fantasy moment? There is value in meaningless, functionless... I'm sorry. There is value in meaningless, functional actions being simply meaningless and functional. There is value in doing things without thinking about the ways other, per other people would slash will react to witnessing it. I will recognize the important and some of the unimportant things you do and things about you because I know and see the value of a person, Laura Dale, that's the narrator. But there are, there are times when you have to feel comfortable being alone. There's like one sort of long like prose chunk and then a really small one. Oops, sorry. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask since I have a like whole room full of poets. I wrote this line in my notebook and I have no idea where it came from. I wonder if anybody else recognized it because I definitely didn't write it myself. The loss of fathers etched primitively in an algebra of skin. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Stunning. <laughs> 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 take, take, take it. Just take, just take, take it. it. <laughs> it's yours. Start setting the physical scene of my anxiety. Starting the day here, California sunshine. Welcome to a world of blue sky with 6% cloud dapple. White, long, thin cloud, cloud like cloud, like punctuation gone too tired, so lies down in the grass. Pastoral, common nap time. This might get sexual. This might get sheep herd roaming nearby and my dress rides above my knee because I just laid down and it's an outdoor picture so there's no one around but me and my herd, you know? California sunshine scene settling like this. Blue skies against November. No, it says blue skies again November. It's been raining so we feel like we deserve it. Blue skies with lying down outdoor sexual punctuation clouds, as, as mentioned. Telephone poles also present, and lots of them. All over town they stand tall and straight, and these were the things I didn't want to talk about. First thing in the morning over coffee, one tries not to notice only the most dick-like things standing around town, but at least now telecommunication has changed, and our connectivity is no longer exclusively drifted exclusively draped over the outstretched arms of vertical peepees towering over, but power runs along them and there's no changing it. If safer, if safer reducing the risk of fire for when the wind blows heavy and in unusual directions the lines break and spark, igniting things below, if not already burning with the embers that burn inside of us, which usually not because here we all cool down that feeling when we watch TV at night, and desirable for people with views to hide eyesore wires. The cost of undergrounding power lines is prohibitive. Would undergrounding power lines be the non-phallic alter alternative to big dick, <laughs> arms outstretched forever holding wires? Why do you see the city only through sexual metaphors? I don't know. I'd rather not. I do not. No. Rather not what? Rather not see it that way, or rather not talk about why? Rather not see it that way so as not to have to talk about why. Also, not all metaphors. 
<laughs> also see the city through sexual facts. Sometimes walk around and it's all people with genitals covered by clothing. In the locker room, it's people with genitals covered in towels. Or if sitting with me in bubbling hot water, people with genitals covered by bubbling hot water. Or when walking up the steps, holding the stainless handrail, which is nasty, scopes, soap, scum, spotted, chlorine, speckled, fogged up for the heat. When walking up the hot tub steps, out the jet bubbled waters, they're people without wait. Right. They're people without their genitals covers, and I'll look. I'll look the same way I look when they are covered. And if they look back at me like over the shoulder, look back at the harsh chem waters from whence you came, naked man. Big butt, white dude, shoulder looking, slip your flip-flops back on. I look away before you catch my gaze. Nice try. I will not be caught. I've got too much at stake. The city is a sexy place, but maybe not a place for sexual encounters. I'm not really sure. I might be more content just looking at people's clothing and knowing that deep down, underneath that clothing, are their parts. Are all of, all of our parts. But, you know, you got to love a good barrier. <laughs> Probably cut that part out. Love that. <laughs> Genitals and the rest of our bodies protected and also mediated by hip-hugging layers of fabric. Welcome to California, where your body will be protected by denim, wool, linen, cotton, leather, nylon, silk, ooh yeah, but also glass and plastic on your glasses. And also, steel and rubber and upholstered foam sit comfortably in traffic. And also, stainless railings steady you, light-headed hot tub soap big butt dude. And also, stainless encasements of lithium-ion batteries and motherboards and HD retina screens through which we see the world. And also, glass encased with wood, holes in the house, windows, windows to the outside world from, sa from safety of our homes literal windows to the outside world, in which there are blue skies and telephone poles, but mostly I look into other people's windows. Carmen's, pooking, <sighs> Carmen's cooking pasta across the breezeway. Paul's cleaning dishes in his underpants. I witness crotch scratch. Frosted glass turns yellow, means someone's in there. I take, off, I take my shirt off facing the street, but shut the blinds for the rest of it. Hairy person holding laptop plops down on couch. Smooth skinned person with long hair sits on bed and opens laptop. Wool sweater person sits at table typing on laptop. I'll end with this little one. It makes a difference when you ask the question and how you ask the question. But very importantly, it makes a difference where you ask the question. Walking through a marble ghost town, bits of broken pottery line the curbs, and water drips into the gutter. Which, what source? Man-made, plumbing, in-town geyser, or what? Pillars hold portico rooftop up above your head. Verticals that look like people slash were made in people's likenesses. But don't walk around like you in this ghost town and, am I alone here? You shout out and ahead of you. The question resonates against the marble. The sound of it vibrates and keeps vibrates and no other vibrations interrupt or validate or complicate therein. And that, strangely, is an affirmation. Yes, you are alone here.
this is a good moment to uh, stretch your arms over your head if you want. And if you want to stand up and sit down a couple times or swivel on, you know, just a good moment to do that. The, the whole rest of the reading will be a good time to do that. But it's, uh, we, we have a lot of really dense, thick experience happening already. And I don't know what's going to happen next, but I planned it, and I don't remember too well. So bear with me. I'm going to set up the beginning of uh, the event uh, by giving myself time to set the timer so that I don't go on all night because it's tempting. Uh, let's see. It says... <laughs> Replace existing, save as copy, skip, or cancel. Uh, I'll, I'll try to replace existing, and we'll see how that, that works out. Um, so thank you to Kate and Caleb and Turner for setting this up and making it possible for us to be in your homes. And uh, Wow, it's really neat to be here, and I don't know where I am or what's going on. <laughs> very mm, affecting. And uh, how's the sound now? Good. You can hear me. Great. Okay. Um, good. So let me say. Um, Steve, can you turn it up a little bit? Can I turn it up? Here, I can yeah, turn it up. Turn it up. Okay. Turn it up. <laughs> I don't know how to turn it up, but you might know. There you Keep go. Talking. Okay, I'm talking some more. And it, now it's, maybe it's a little closer to the microphone. I can be we a little can move closer. It up. Yeah, we can yeah, and I, I may even play it with my hands or whatever and move it up. That's good. Okay. So uh, you're going to hear me read out loud some portions of works, writings that I've been doing for the last several years. And I write it, uh, well, lately I'm not writing it right now, but I'll write it. I used to be writing all the time uh, once a day at the very, very, very end of the day yeah and um and so there there is a set of these uh i plans called uh what this is as it happens so for tonight i'll read a piece of what a piece of this a piece of is and a piece of as because um, i haven't yet typed up uh it and i haven't decided which other thing i've already written is happens but, uh, so you get the idea, and, and um, yeah, it, it feels different to be upstanding and reading and talking out loud and seeing everybody face forward. Thank you for being here very much. Did I not explain myself? Am I only too sure the invasion will be futile and catastrophic for all concerned? How many facts are there? News turned to account. If we can make a revolution cooperative, what angels may ally with our primitive nature to wake the self into acceptance? What, what angels may ally with our primitive nature to wake the self into acceptance? In fact, I don't think I ever have had a bed of my own. It's about time for a late birthday present. At the moment, I want to read only of war, its human face, realer and more real, realizing, turning to and from the light where the curtain is torn open and blood is easily visible, the person quivers, quails, incapable of orgasm, shivering, hoping for sleep, or a magic bullet that could end this cursed calm. As if I want to read only of nothing but the war, and I will sleep okay. There is nothing but war to be encountered, to be reckoned with, to be known. War is the restlessness to dominate, to be dominated, to die. The need for melatonin will not die easily in this society. Nothing rests. Everything stirs and changes temperature in this artificial climate. We try 
to hover and center, in short, everything is war. In a competitive economy, don't you think? Com cooperatives focus on mutual aid instead. Does this realize peace? Swiveling the handlebars of a bicycle built for no one, I call your name. You know your ears are hurt by people talking ill of each other, which is not the same as finding one another's weakness and confusion. You know your ears are hurt by people talking of each other, ill of each other, people talking, which is not the same as finding one another's weakness and confusion. Ladder evaporates, drawer dissolves, wheel explodes, simulacrum settles into ground. The buffed blur of odors, indigent. You try to piece it together. So I thought I would, uh, at each carefully timed moment, uh, say a few other words, uh, which I have memorized good ideas about what to say, but I don't remember what they are because I'm really bad at memorization. So the first idea was, I am not slick. I really am not slick. You can tell. Uh, I'm sweating. I, I had to take my shoes off because otherwise I wouldn't feel grounded enough. I'd like to take off more clothes, but I would be just too distracting. You'd be having to evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. And it would only be confusing. So I just go on. I go on anyway. There's no point in giving up already because life's, life's just it's got a commanding kind of uh, hopefulness about it. Life goes on and on and on. It's amazing. And, and then I try to help it go on by doing things like uh, eating wisely some of the time. So from this... I am always sorry about something about last night, at least while it happens, unwinds. But later, I'm too preoccupied to forget it. What makes this pain so physical? Nerves are responding to something being out of place, bodily. I think I'm good looking, but who am I to say? <laughs> No one can really tell. What does it matter how things look? It matters to most anyone how things look. In one's imagination. Anyway. It matters to most anyone how things look in one's imagination anyway. I ask him, for instance, what do you know? I don't know, he says softly, as though this were the most ordinary of answers. Are you interested in being there, then, beside me, in that particular movie? I imagine you right now as someone I would willingly share anything with. What right has anyone to leave another scattered in pieces, tossed in a hole, Obliviated before there's time to be forgot. A parent, and oh, no, that's the wrong passage. So I don't go back. Uh, tossed in a hole, obliviated before there's time to be forgot. It's strange the kinds of rights people do assume as though they would attribute them to anyone without reflection, though they, on the other hand, abhor others' use of them. Is this true of you, too? I'm sure it is. I'm one of us. How can you live with yourself? I go in and out of contact. How do you know when to get in touch when nothing is telling me it's the wrong time? When you pause, does what you are saying shift course? 
sometimes imperceptibly, so you say something you hadn't meant to? I knew you would ask me that. <laughs> In what sense is déjà vu a real phenomenon as you understand it? Déjà vu doesn't happen, it already is. <laughs> is déjà vu now or is it in the past? Yes, you asked me before, and I already answered as well as I can. But isn't the melodic structure and development of a sentence both mysterious and plain as day? Is that of a life, a poem, or a thought that escapes you in a hypnagogic fantasy? Head over heels? Hypnagogic fantasy, head over heels. A thought that escapes you in a hypnagogic fantasy, head over heels. In fact, or in effect, it changes either the sentence or my impression of it, segueing into another and in and out of one another as I listen and watch. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, well, I thought about improvisation. I thought I would say something about improvisation because I think about it a lot. And I, uh, and then, so I was sitting in the front row a minute ago, five, ten minutes ago, ten minutes ago, thinking about it, and that um, anything to put two things together seems like improvisation. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what it's even going to mean or signify. And so it's, uh, it's, it's open-ended into the uh, unfolding or un, un, uh, the unexperienced future that we're getting to experience already. And it's already happening right now. And then it's written in stone because it's all super happened and, and can't turn back. <laughs> So that's the nature of improvisation. <laughs> so, are we drawn to it, or do we feel like we've got to avoid that if, at all costs? Should I have like scripted everything that I'm going to say right at this moment, or is it maybe just absolutely? I would have been so bad if I had done that. It's only good because to a degree that it's any good. It's only because it's just off the cuff as it were. So, from another, the next section is, um, birds and people call. The blue sky reflects deposits of unidentified chemicals mid-air. Some other poets' voices try to wake us and we turn into individuals. I listen to thoughts that make no sense to me sometimes, and at other points, they seem to pull themselves into forms, and still I am not sure I can believe them, or take them seriously, or expect them to stay coherent or predictable as they fade or decompose into reverie and unintended thinking. That was a very impressive sentence. <laughs> when I come to my senses, it was probably written like on three different nights, too. When I come to my senses, I don't know what to do with myself, so I pack as if to prepare for travel to another time and place where things will stay the same while I move around among them, largely by reading all the materials I accumulate here, where I cannot really make them out, inhabit and populate whatever I believe I I'm going to start that sentence over because I'm losing the shape of it myself, and so you're maybe ahead of me, I'm not sure. When I come to my senses, I don't know what to do with myself, so I pack, 
as if to prepare for travel to another time and place where things will stay the same while I move around among them, largely by reading all the materials I accumulate here where I cannot really make them out, inhabit, and populate whatever I believe I need to know. I keep reviving, I keep revising my assessment back and wonder about things it's not occurred to me to remember or forget. I fell in love with you, gazing into your eyes over the corpse of my friend in the back of the ambulance as he was dying, or I thought he was. You leaned forward, visually, if not visibly, and I knew. You were naked, sitting in front. The vehicle veered off the highway, for all of a sudden we were floating, vividly aeolian and strange only to ourselves. It was our peculiar destiny to get used to it, like the walk home from school that shifted eventually from adventure to reverie. Uh, lost at home. I, I think I was thinking about the feeling, uh, like, I don't know where, where I am. I, the question isn't really where do I belong, though that could be, but, but maybe it was partly because coming back to Berkeley and Oakland, where I felt so much like it was home when I left, uh, that I was leaving home in some important way, though I grew up in New Jersey, of course. And... Um, I didn't we all? <laughs> um, and now I'm back, and I look around. I walk down the street, and everything's like, wow! It's very present. It's very new. It's it's very bright and often. I mean, there are people who are extremely poor, and there are buildings and structures that are extremely wealthy. And I don't know if it was like that when I was here before or not. I, I was less conscious of some things then. I think I was more conscious of things in the middle somehow. Maybe more things were in the middle at that time. But um, feeling kind of lost in the present period of history too. As, as I, the what's going to happen and, and how is it going to be is, is so alarmingly... Uh, impossible to frame successfully and, um, and, and seems to be going further out of control all the time. I don't think it's even a matter of seeing. It's, it's probably obvious to everybody. But mostly it's pretending not to be taking place. So uh, the everyday life, there you go. It, it's confusing to participate in it in a way. So the last section, is some lines I'll read from As. I chose the pieces of these huge messes of writing uh, by saying, well, if I start at the very beginning or the very end, that, that's pretty artificial, or it risks like a sense of momentousness. And if I go just for the middle, I'll be uh, getting something out of the blue, something that, that I uh, is like the gist of what I have to say. So that's how I picked things, and now I'm reading them out loud. The focus of this thing is foreign to me. Like, I don't know how to translate it into the finger's action from the eye's resolution in a penetrating gazing, grazing of appearances. <laughs> oh, what the hell, I'll just snap it in different directions, indifferently or stomp on it and throw it in the corner where increasingly the things that don't fit elsewhere are stockpiled in fragments. Either nothing fits together or everything fits together. And you and I meet to have our fits together <laughs> as we struggle towards bed, perhaps to sleep or think of one another's arms closing around us. I share with you your fantasy of me. You share your fantasy of yourself with me. The bed serves as a cabin, a fort, a wing, an eclipse, a rotting corpse. Reality provides a shelter by limiting the options. 
hours imitate numbers, cross sections, staves, dreams, rivers. Before I know it, my time is up, and I'm standing in the rapids, daydreaming, thrown off balance by the force of ordinary participation in imperial, overdetermined, entropic superordination. And no one and you walk into a bar. <laughs> There's a huge mirror behind it. A fight breaks out after no one says something stupid, ignorant, and offensive. I mean, people never learn. The silent observer is distressed. I didn't know what hit me. But I hit back in self-defense. I, I could hear terribly, fantastically distant sounds as if they were up close. I would have said my ears had ceased to listen or think, though they were haunted by these wraiths of distressed humanity the victims of drought, casualties of wars, on drugs, terror, nature, and difference, and difference, displaced, tortured, raped, deceived, ignored. Am I frozen in a diffuse terror, or just dumbed down by repetitive association with what I already know about ideal form? Erotic sensitization and explosive inanity the moon is heavy. The head is clobbered by a foul mood. There's mud in my eye. The first, no, I'm sorry, it says, the final four lines on this page, which is what these are, the final four lines on this page are reserved for advertising. No one is buying. <laughs> Due to technical oversights beyond this person's ability to observe and assess. So, thank you. Thank you. Woo!